During the night between the 25th and 26th, the Bowerfin weighed anchor and sailed for Plymouth, where we cast anchor towards noon. We had scarcely cast anchor when a number of the armed boats proceeded to take their station like sentinels around the ship, and no one was allowed to approach without a pass from the Admiral, and two frigates made a signal for sailing. Admiral Keith communicated all his orders, or those of the government, by signals. No one came on board. It was no longer possible to be under any illusion respecting our fate, and we would have deemed ourselves fortunate in being able to hope that the castle of Dumberton in Scotland or the Tower of London might be assigned as the Empress prison. St. Helena appeared nothing less than a burning tomb in the midst of the Atlantic. On the 27th, Captain Maitland informed the Grand Marshal that he had just received orders to cause all the officers who no longer constituted a part of the Emperor's personal attendance, and especially the Poles, to be put on board a frigate, and that probably Admiral Keith would come during the day to announce the decision of the government. The Admiral, however, having been repeatedly announced by signals, came only for a few minutes and said nothing. He was hourly expecting orders for himself, which he had not received. On our part, everything was put in requisition to parry the stroke which threatened us, the Duke of Rovigo succeeded in establishing secret communications with an English lawyer who sent him a variety of notes and documents in order to guide us in the adoption of a course which, as he said, would place the emperor under the protection of British law and render it impossible to close the gates of the country against him. Acting on this advice, the emperor immediately dictated a protest and a memorandum to countless causes. A sailor who was a good swimmer conveyed it to Plymouth by night, and on the next day it was in London, in the hands of the celebrated advocate. And we began again to hope at Plymouth, Still more than at Turbay, the harbor was covered by boats of all descriptions. The population from ten leagues round came in crowds to hail the illustrious prisoner, and there was nothing but one continual hurrah of exclamation and indications of enthusiasm. Amongst the rest, it was a light yaw decorated with flowers, which contained a young woman of exquisite beauty and grace, who paid her respects to the emperor by lifting up her child in her arms and presenting to his view her most precious possession. The brutality of one of the guard boats capsized the yawl and a general shout of indication was raised. One of the midshipmen of the Bowerfin and several sailors plunged into the sea. The mother was almost immediately rescued from danger. Her first cry was for her child. I was attracted by the sound and well remembered the pleasure which I felt in hearing the child is saved. 
in fact, a midshipman dived into the sea, whilst assistance was directed towards him from all sides. After the lapse of a few moments, the brave youth was taken up by a boat and brought on board the Bellerophon with the child, which he had saved. This dramatic scene produced such an effect upon our minds that it served to withdraw us from the contemplation of our own melancholy position. On the 30th of July, Admiral Keith came on board, accompanied by the Undersecretary of State, Sir Henry Bunbury, whom the Ministry had commissioned to announce their decision to the Emperor. He accordingly handed him the following extract from the dispatch of the Admiralty, as it may perhaps be convenient for General Bonaparte to learn without further delay the intentions of the British government with regard to him. Your Lordship will communicate the following information. It would be inconsistent with our duty towards our country and the allies of His Majesty. If General Bonaparte possessed the means of again disturbing the repose of Europe, it is on this account that it becomes absolutely necessary. He should be restrained in his personal liberty. So far as this is required by the foregoing important object, the island of St. Helena has been chosen as its future residence. Its climate is healthy, lies, and its local position will allow of his being treated with more indulgence than could be admitted in any other spot. Lies, owing to the indispensable precautions which it would be necessary to employ for the security of his person. Lies. Chandler Bonaparte is allowed to select from amongst those persons who accompanied him to England, with the exceptions of General Savary and Lalaman, three officers who, together with his surgeon, will have permission to accompany him to St. Helena. These individuals will not be allowed to quit the island without the sanction of the British government. Rear Admiral Sir George Cockburn, who is appointed Commander-in-Chief, at the Cape of Good Hope and the adjacent seas will convey General Bonaparte and his suite to St. Helena, and he will receive detailed instructions relative to the execution of this service. Sir George Cockburn will most probably be ready to sail in a few days, for which reason it is desirable that General Bonaparte should make choice without delay of the persons who are to accompany him. The emperor listening to the reading of the document with profound calmness. And when Lord Keith and Sir Henry Bunbury had ceased speaking, he said to them, I am the guest of England, not her prisoner. I have come of my own accord to place myself under the protection of British law. In my case, the government has violated the laws of its own country, the law of nations, and the sacred duty of hospitality. I protest against their right to act thus and appeal to British honor. The Admiral and Undersecretary made no other answer 
than to give respectful assurance that they would immediately transmit an account of what had just taken place to the government. During the evening, Captain Maitland forwarded to the Admiral the following letter, which was put into his hands by the Grand Marshal. From the Emperor, my lord, I have read with attention the extract from the letter which you have communicated to me. I have made you acquainted with my protest. I am not a prisoner of war. I am the guest of England. I have come to this country in the English ship Balfour, after having first communicated to Captain Maitland the letter which I had written to the Prince Regent and received from him the assurance that his orders prescribed to him the duty of receiving me on board and conveying myself in my suite to England. If I made such a request, Admiral Hotham afterwards reiterated the assurance from the moment in which I was received on board the Bellerfin. I felt myself under the protection of the laws of your country, and I am anxious to live in freedom in the interior of the country under the protection and surveillance of the laws, ready to enter into all such engagements. As may be thought desirable and necessary, I have no wish to carry on any correspondence with France, nor to mix myself up in political affairs. Since my abdication, my intention has always been to become a resident of the United States, or in England. I flatter myself, my lord, that you and the Undersecretary of State will make a faithful report of these circumstances. It is in the honor of the Prince Regent, and in the protection of the laws of your country that I have placed and do place my confidence, Napoleon.